on, Jim. You're making a mess. Jim's trying to break a 50 in the plate here. Somebody watch him. Get your Bibles out this morning. Happy Father's Day. Amen. We had a great first service, and uh, the worship and the word was a one-two punch, and I'm trusting God's going to move again. So get to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 24 in just a minute. But on Father's Day, as Christians, it's impossible not to acknowledge our Heavenly Father. Amen. What an example we have of love and humility and service and power and authority in our Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you this morning for the example you've given us and for the example we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray that each of us today would be encouraged and stretched and challenged today, that we would leave this place changed by your word and more aware of our Heavenly Father. When Jesus walked to earth, he communed with his Father in heaven, and I pray that we would have that same connection through Jesus Christ, that we would commune with you, we would be about our Father's business, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 1, 18 through 24 is going to be our text this morning as I preach a Father's Day message, and it says this in Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. See, whether we like to think about it, especially on a day that honors fathers, we have to admit the fact that fatherhood and masculinity and everything to do with man is under attack by our culture. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And it's not even subtle anymore. It's, it's gloves off, wide open, brazen. It used to be that fathers, if you look at TV, even just TV reflecting our culture, in the 50s, the father was, you know, this hard worker, the provider, the head of the home. Think leave it to Beaver, you know. Wasn't that Ward? His name was Ward something. Ward Clear, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, respectable. And then that gives way to Al Bundy. And the father's portrayed as a buffoon, as a child, as someone who's, you know, just not very productive in the home or not even necessary. 
There has always been forces in our world and in our culture that want to undermine the role of men, especially men who want to be godly husbands and godly fathers. There's an attack on such people. And if that's your heart today, that you want nothing more than to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, realize you're under attack. And I have to say this before I move on. No one has done more damage to the credibility of the man than men. Now, just let that settle in for a second. You see, we can't get, guys, we can't get too mad at the culture, at feminism, at everything. We have to look at ourselves first and realize what's undermined us is men who just refuse to grow up and be men. You remember Peter Pan, there was the lost boys or, you know what, the, the little boys who never grew up? We got a whole generation. Ah, it's starting to get quiet already. Hang in there, guys. But, you know, understand the culture uh, is attacking masculinity. Why? Because God, and whenever God did anything, he raised up a man. He raised up an Abraham, an Isaac, a Jacob, a Moses, a David. He always let it begin. And listen, if he can suppress men and he can make masculinity something to be ashamed of and call it toxic, then we have a generation that's dead in the water already. Because men will not step up and lead. They will not love their wives as Christ loved the church, and they'll not father their children. No matter what the woke, fact-checking, secular humanists say, no matter what the feminists say, no matter what childish men say, it's still an undisputable spiritual and biological fact that it takes a man and a woman to make a child. Now, it used to be common sense, Dan, to make that statement. Now it's controversial. That's how crazy we've become. But it still takes a man and a woman to, to, to make a baby, and that men are part of the equation. You know, the, feminine, the feminist movement that says, I don't need no man. Well, you can't spontaneously make a baby yourself. You need a man. God made it that way, amen? So men play the role in... The future generation, they play a role in children's lives. Now, I see some powerful truths about fatherhood on display in the life of Joseph in the text we just read. There are four things every father needs to know from the experience of Joseph here in Matthew 1. And the first one is this. Every father needs to know, listen, that they are not optional. Come on, Father, say amen. Say, I'm not optional. You're vital. You're not an afterthought. You're not window dressing. You are vital today as a father. Joseph's divine inclusion in the life of Jesus as an earthly father proves more than anything else I know that fathers are not optional. God in heaven, who was Jesus' heavenly father, decided Jesus needed an earthly father. And I mean, if Jesus needed an earthly father, that tells me fathers are not optional. Now, we can, look at, we can look at the life of Jesus and get Mary's role in the equation, right? He had to be born of a virgin. So without a woman, Jesus couldn't have been born. We get it. We know why Mary's there. You know, and, and theologically, we need to understand that Jesus had to be born of a woman. Why? Because he was fully God. But when he was born through a woman, he took on the original sin and he took on the flesh, 
And if Jesus wasn't born of a woman, he wouldn't have had to contend with that sin nature and he wouldn't have been able to overcome it and crucify it and break the power of sin. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. So Jesus had to be born of a woman. He had to be born of a woman. We get Mary's role. But you know what? A lot of people think, well, we we get Mary, but did we really need Joseph? Think about it. And our culture might say, no, you don't need no man. You you know, he had Mary. You know, you don't need. But God in heaven included Joseph in the equation. And he, he, God could have said, well, I'm his heavenly father. He doesn't need no. No, he put Joseph in there to be his earthly father. Why? Because fathers are not optional. They are vital today. Many can see, uh, you know, how... Joseph was a part of Jesus' life. He was a carpenter. Jesus worked for him. Uh, Joseph wasn't there uh, at the cross, so we, history dictates that he probably had passed away, but he raised other children with Mary. He had, Jesus had brothers and sisters. He raised Jesus. He mentored him. He trained him. He protected him in his infancy state. We're going to see how God used Joseph to be a protector for Jesus as he was Uh, growing up and coming to maturity. And all of this speaks to us that dads are not optional and that you're not window dressing, but you make a big difference in the life of your children. Josh McDowell in the book, The Dad Difference, reveals that fathers who are affectionate, nurturing, and actively involved in child rearing are much more likely to have well-adjusted, productive children. Children who have a positive and continuous relationship with their father have been found statistically to have a better self-image, higher self-esteem, higher self-confidence, and more adjusted in personal social interaction. They have a higher moral maturity, reduced rates of unwanted pregnancy, greater emotional stability, greater self-control, and a higher uh, career aspirations, and a lower incarceration rates. Does that sound like vital things to you? (laughs) Amen. We see young men, especially that are fatherless and not nurtured. They're angry. They get involved with crime and gangs. They wind up in prison because dads are not optional. Dads are vital. What a huge difference it makes in the life of your children if you're there. Another stat showed that, listen to this, children who have fathers who are active believers in Jesus Christ, listen to this, are 75% more likely to serve God themselves than children who only have mothers with an active faith. You can't just leave mom to do all the spiritual work, the spiritual leading, the dragging them to church, and the dads are a- absent. In some churches, it's all women and a few men, and the fathers are not there. I thank God for the men of God at Full Gospel Center who are here, who are involved, who are involved in their children's lives. It's awesome, amen? But the reality is that th- this is the exception and not the rule. And children who see their dads active in the church, active in their faith, active in ministry, doing something, they are 75% more likely to serve God themselves. Dad, what a difference you can make in the spiritual trajectory of your children's life. So fathers need to know 
just as Joseph needed to know that he was not optional, he was a vital part of Jesus' development. Number two, every father needs to know the right balance of discipline and mercy. Say discipline. discipline. Say mercy. Those two things need to be balanced in our lives as fathers. Children need discipline. Someone say amen. amen. Let me try it again. Children need discipline. Someone say amen. amen. You know what? And we have to discipline our children as fathers. It's not just mom's job to do all the discipline. And dad collapses in front of the TV with the remote control welded to his hand. No, fathers have to be the primary disciplinarians. A father that won't discipline his children is, is derelict in his duty and really shows that he doesn't love them very much. Now, moms, I know it's Father's Day. It's not Mother's Day. So I'm going to tell you this. Don't stop your husbands from disciplining your children. Amen. Sometimes my wife has to step back and let the testosterone flow. There's times I had to discipline my sons. I didn't like the way they were talking to their mom. I say, hey, that's my wife. Don't talk to her like that, right? Now they're such respectful, good boys. But you've got to train them. You've got to discipline them. But you can't just be the proverbial drill sergeant. Some of us got the discipline part down, and we're like that drill sergeant with the Smokey the Bear hat, and we're always just barking orders, barking orders. Five o'clock in the morning, playing Reveille. Get up, get out of bed. I feel everybody just wilting. You, you got to discipline, but you can't just be a disciplinarian. And God didn't call you to be a drill sergeant. You've got to balance that discipline with, you know, with graciousness and humility and mercy. Discipline and mercy, it's all about balance. Say balance. How many remember that scene from the Karate Kid when Daniel-san was on that little boat and, the, the, and they were fishing and Mr. Miyagi made him get up on the stern of the little rowboat there and, and Daniel's trying to, you know, he's trying to do his little... You didn't think I could do that, huh? But Mr. Miyagi starts to rock the boat and Daniel's like, what are you doing? And here's what he was doing. He was trying to shake him up to test his balance. Because it's easy to maintain your balance when there's no adversity, but when the adversity comes, that's a real test of the balance. When adversity comes in our children's lives, when, when there's a bad report, when they're misbehaving, when they're dropping the ball, that's when the shakeup comes, and we need to balance. We can't just bark orders. We've got to show mercy. I think some of the most tender times as a father in the lives of my relationship with my children is the, not the times where I gave them a lecture or told them what to do or barked at them. And believe me, I have. But it's the times where I was able to tend, be tender and just share my heart, share my own weakness. Tell them I struggled with this and, and this is how, you know, and just, just be tender and have a connection there. Balance that mercy and discipline and your children will be blessed if you do joseph handled the complications of his relationship with mary in a way that tells us that he was a balanced man it tells us everything we need to know about his character and his integrity he could balance discipline with mercy you say how do you know that listen to verse 19 of matthew 1 
because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, that shows balance there. Joseph was faithful to the law, so he was disciplined. He was rigid. He had a backbone. He kept the law of God because that was important to him. But then on the other side of the coin, he didn't want to embarrass Mary or uncover her, so what he thought he had to do to fulfill the law, he was willing to do quietly. See, that's a balance of discipline and mercy. And that's the exact principle we need to have an operation in our lives as men when it comes to dealing with our children, that we would balance that discipline and mercy, that we would be faithful to God to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But at the same time, we would be tender enough to know that we ourselves are broken and sinners and need a lot of grace. Joseph was committed to doing what was right, but he was also committed to showing mercy. That's exactly the principle I'm trying to drive home here. Dads, when you discipline your children, don't crush them. Listen to Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So right there, it's telling fathers how to behave. Do not provoke. Do you know, we could be such disciplinarians, such drill sergeants, so demanding that we actually provoke our children to rebel. And and the word is saying, don't do that. We need to do better than that. We need to balance grace with the discipline. I want you to listen to the story of a father who did not understand this principle, and it was to the detriment of his son's life. David Simmons, former cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, tells this story about his relationship with his father. David's father was a military man. He was extremely demanding, rarely saying any kind words. He always pushed his son through criticism. David's father had decided that he'd never let his son feel satisfaction for any of his accomplishments, but rather remind him of how he could have done better. When David was a little boy, his father gave him a bicycle as a present. It was unassembled, and he was told, put it together yourself. After hours, David struggled, being too young to use tools and understand the instructions. He, he was at the point of tears, and his father said, I knew you couldn't do it, and put it together for him. When David played football in high school, his father was unrelenting in his criticism. In the backyard of his home, after every game, his dad would go over every play and point out his mistakes. Most boys got butterflies before the game, David said. I got them afterwards when I had to face my father. After a successful college career, David was the second-round draft pick for the St. Louis Cardinals. Joe Namath was the first-round pick. When David called home to share the exciting news, his father answered the phone with this comment. How does it feel to be number two? Wow. Dads, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't crush your children. Be merciful. Be gentle. Be their greatest fan, their greatest cheerleader. Discipline them, but mix mercy in. Now, if you grew up in a situation like this, I've not shared this to hurt anyone's heart or open up a wound, but understand, we need to break the pattern as men of God and not pass it down to the next generation. 
Every father needs to know they're not optional. And every father needs to know they need to balance discipline and mercy. Number three, every father needs to know how to hear from God for their children. Dad, you need to hear the voice of God concerning your children. Oh, I thought I just had to go to work and get a paycheck and pay the bills and put a roof over their head and food on the table. Listen to me. Yeah, Dad, we got to do all that, but that's not enough. You and I need to hear from God about our children and get a word from the Lord for them. Where do fathers hear about their children these days? Most fathers hear uh, about their children from their mother. Listen, you know, mom's with them more, home more. Uh, when you look at the statistics, fathers who work and come home and eat dinner and pass out, you know, they're spending on average 5 to 15 minutes a day with their children. And I read the statistics and they're all over the place, but it's usually a minuscule amount of time. And fathers uh, need to hear from the Lord about their children. You know, we go to prayer, we go to the secret place, and we cry out to God for help and finances and freedom and breakthroughs. Maybe we pray for our wives, you know, but how many times do we get before the Lord and say, God, give me a snapshot, a photograph of where this child is going so that I can participate in nurturing them toward that goal? How many times have we said, Lord, show me uh, for my son, for my daughter, show me your will, your vision, your plan, the, the steps that are ordered. Give me insight as a father. It's all about being purposeful in the place of prayer and bringing our children before the Lord and asking God to give us a word for them, a scripture for them, a snapshot of their future. Where do we hear about what's going on in the lives of our children? From their mother, from their teachers, from their coaches, from the principal. You know, you get a call, yeah, Junior's not doing so good. You get called into the principal's office. You get the coach saying, this kid's lazy. You, is he getting enough sleep? Where do we hear about our children? In the newspaper, on America's Most Wanted, on the police scanner. It's supposed to be funny. You're a little too serious today. <laughs> oh, look who's on America's Most Wanted tonight. It's Junior. That's the third episode of Cops we've seen him on. <laughs> Am I hitting too close to home for something? <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? That's not where we're supposed to hear about our kids. We're supposed to hear from the Lord about our children, our sons and our daughters, amen? And God is speaking and God will share, but we have to seek him purposely. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how grown up they are. You're still their father and you still can speak into their lives and you still need a word from the Lord for them. You gotta do this. You guys are great. So we need to hear from God rather than anyone else. And if we're not hearing from God about our children and we're getting it from other sources, we need to ask ourselves why. Listen, Joseph, as our example, heard from God at all the crucial moments of Jesus' life. Listen to the, a few texts here. Matthew 120. But after he had considered this, Joseph, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. So right from the beginning, the Lord spoke to Joseph about Jesus. 
and he heard from the Lord. That was a crucial moment. Why? Because if Joseph said, I ain't marrying this woman, this is a disgrace, and he washed his hands and walked away, it short circuits the will of God. So he heard from the Lord concerning Jesus. Listen to Matthew 2.13. When Joseph had to take Mary and escape to Egypt, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Here we go again. Joseph getting insight from God about what to do in this situation. The angel said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Wow. Jesus was under Joseph's care. Although he had a heavenly father in a relationship with him, God spoke to Joseph how to cover and care for his son even to the point where he tells him, get up, take your wife, take your son, and escape to Egypt. I mean, think about it. What a heads up that was, amen? One more scripture, Matthew 2, 19. Uh, this is the return from Egypt to Nazareth. After Herod died, isn't it great when the death of the wicked comes? Herod was a wicked, wicked person. And he murdered thousands of children. Why? To cut off the possibility of the Messiah because he didn't want anyone competing with him for authority and power. What a wicked, wicked man. And here the scripture says, you know what? After Herod died and, and now he's out of the equation, an angel of the Lord, again, is speaking to, to Joseph. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and told him, what? You can leave Egypt. You can return to Nazareth. At every juncture, at every crucial moment in Jesus' nurturing and development as a child, God spoke to Joseph, his father, and told him what to do for his son to keep him on the right track. And God is speaking to you about your children today, Dad. You say, well, pastor, I've ne my angel has never showed up. I've never gotten a dream or a visitation. What's with my angel? <laughs> God is speaking to us. We've got to incline our ear to hear him, amen? Remember back in the day when CB radios were popular? What did they say? They're like, 10-4, uh, got your ears on, buddy? Anybody? Smokey and the Bandit? Seen stories? Younger generation is like, CB, is that an app? <laughs> but you got your ears on today, Dad. Are you listening? Are you inclined to hear from the Lord about your children? Can you settle down and get in the secret place and drive the busyness away and cry out to God for them to get an understanding, a revelation of what God is doing in their lives? God spoke to Joseph every time. He'll speak to us every time. He'll use us to keep our children safe if we incline our ear to hear to him. Listen, Dad, children need more than a father that plays hide and seek with them. They need a father who will actually seek after them and hear them. It's not hide and seek. It's seek and hear. And here's what I mean by that. Dad, do you seek after your children? Do you seek to spend time with them, to have quality time with them, to involve yourself in the things that interest them? See, it's important that we just don't m try to make the miniature versions of ourselves and say, well, you can tag along with me if you want to do the things I want to do. We have to humble ourselves to the point where even if we're not interested in something, if they're interested in it, we're interested in it. 
Hear me today, men. Hear me today, fathers. We need, to, uh, we need to take the time to seek after our children, especially when they're young and they're in development. There's always hours to work. There's always new projects to take on. There's always things we can do to entertain ourselves. But our children are only young once. Be at their games. Be at their concerts. Be with them and seek after them. If you don't seek after them when they're young and they're developmental, there'll come a time when they're old and grown and they won't have a relationship with you. So hide and seek is great, but we need to seek after our children and we need to hear our children. The greatest thing we could do is listen to our children as they share their hearts with us and listen to them and hear them. If you're married, you know the greatest blessing to your wife is that she can speak to you and be heard. All the married men look terrified right now. <laughs> this is not a trap. It's not a trick. Your wife just wants to be heard. Women, if I'm telling the truth, someone say amen. amen. And listen, I know I'm a fixer. I fix broken things. My wife can hand me anything made out of wood, made out of wetel, electronics. I'll weld it, solder it, fix it. Whatever you got to do, we'll get it fixed. But sometimes she doesn't want to be fixed. She just wants to be heard. Ladies, you got to do a little better for... Amen. I remember, you know, my wife was sharing something with me and I'm trying to fix it. And she's like, just listen to me. Maybe this is a painful subject. <laughs> but children want to be heard too. The greatest blessing to your wife is to be heard. The greatest blessing to your children is to be heard. Now I know children, especially when they're little, they say some crazy stuff. You ever just let a kid spout on? Some crazy Star Trek type stuff. <laughs> but just listen. Listen, enjoy them, enjoy them expressing their little hearts and hear them. So seek after them, spend time with them and hear them and you will impact them and impart to them the things that they need to be everything God made them to be. Number four, and I close with this, every father needs to remember that they're a husband first. Before Jesus came on the scene, Joseph was Mary's husband. Fathers, before you had a child, you were a husband. At least that's the way it's supposed to work in God's design. But, you know, your wife made you a father. And father, you, you made your wife a mother. And that's the way it works because it still takes a man and a woman to make a child. If this is Facebook, they would fact check that saying partly false information. <laughs> but the truth is, both of you are part of the equation. And, uh, you know, you've got to remember, Dad, before you were a father, you were a husband. Scripture demands that husbands love their wife like Christ loved the church. You say, Pastor, she's killing me. She's supposed to. Jesus died for the church. <laughs> Don't complain. It's what you signed up for. Every wedding I do, I, qu I quote that scripture. Jesus laid down his life for the church, and the guy's going, <sighs> listen, dummy, hear what I'm saying. Don't come back in six months. I made a mistake. 
But fathers need to love their wives. They need to lay their lives down for them. They need to love them as Christ loved the church. You're a husband first before you're a father. Serve her. Be patient with her. Be affectionate to her. Do it in front of your children. Make them nauseous. (laughs) Kiss her. Hug her. Love her. Make them leave the room. You say, why should we do that? That's, you know, it's awkward. No, your children need to see that you love each other. They need to see, listen, men, your children need to see that you're crazy about their mother. It will do something for, they'll think it's gross. They'll cut it out. When they get older, they say, go get a room. (laughs) But it's doing something for them. And it's producing something in them that only your love for each other can. You say, Pastor, will all of this stuff you're saying actually do anything? It absolutely will. It will produce some incredible things in your children. And I want to say this about fathers loving their wives. And, and this might sound interesting, but it applies to both mothers and fathers. But don't make idols out of your children. Love your children, but don't make an idol. You say, well, how do you make an idol out of them? You love them, you serve them, you cart them around, you do every activity for them, and you ignore your spouse. Some ladies worship their children and ignore the father like he's just a mule, a provider, a sperm donor, but we don't really need him. And some men ignore their wives and like she just cooks and cleans and takes care of the nuisance children. No, that's not the biblical example. That's making an idol out of your children. And listen to me, that will damage your marriage. Newsflash, everyone, they're going to move out of your house someday. And if you made an idol out of them, now listen, they may live in your basement until they're 40. It's tough out there. But someday they're going to move out. And then if the two of you made idols out of your kids, you're going to look at each other, who are you? I don't know, who are you? And your relationship is damaged. Husbands and wives, don't do that. It's offensive to the Lord. Your marriage is the centerpiece of the home. Men, don't let children disrespect your wife. And wives, do not let your children disrespect your husband. Oh, you might not like hearing this today, but it'll save, it'll save us in the long run. Amen. Make your wife... The centerpiece, guys. Listen, you say, how do, how do I know if I've made idols out of my children? If you don't blink when your child needs a $200 baseball bat or $150 shoes or you buy them expensive presents and all the clothes and the electronics, but yet you flip out because your wife got a new pair of shoes or got a manicure, that's wrong. You should never muzzle her. You should never restrict her. My wife can buy as many shoes as she wants. She can get a manicure anytime that she wants. She, she's my queen. And my sons know this. Don't treat your wife like that. Spoil her. Love her. Honor her. The women should be shouting their heads off. Yeah, they should be like, that's good preaching, Pastor. You go now. I know it's Father's Day, but I'm working for you, ladies. I, 
You can ask Kim. I have to tell her, go get a massage. Go get, just go, go do it. I'll pay for it. I'll send you. Go, go, go. Because she needs that. And you need to treat her like that, amen? Oh, I hope some changes are going to happen in households all throughout the Hudson Valley. So, Dad, I want you to remember your husband first and that your wife should, uh, your marriage should be the centerpiece of your home. And uh, Scripture demands that we love our wives like Christ loved the church, so we lay down our lives and we show patience and affection and we, we hear her and we do it in front of our children. And this is what will happen if we do that. If we'll honor these principles, it'll make our children more emotionally stable. It'll make our children more secure that they know mom and dad love each other. They might think it's gross, but listen, it's doing something in their spirits, giving them a security that wouldn't otherwise be there. If we'll do these things, it'll provide our children with a visual example of what biblical marriage looks like. It will inspire our sons to be servant leaders, to be godly husbands and godly fathers. It will teach our daughters what kind of man they should date and what kind of man they should marry. Men, if you love their mother, you'll do more for your children than perhaps any of your words could. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for this message and these principles that we glean from the life of Joseph, the father of Jesus. Father, we are so excited to know that we matter. We make a difference. We're not optional. Father, let us remember that every day of the year. I pray for fathers out there who have gone overboard in the wrong direction and made idols out of their sons and daughters. I pray that once again, the father's hearts would turn to their wives and, and nurture that relationship because it will strengthen the next generation and provide an example of what a godly man is supposed to look like. Father, do a work in each of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name.